Hello and welcome to the Small World Podcast. On this week's episode, sensitive topics will be discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to the Small World Podcast, the podcast where you are the topic of discussion. I'm your host, Chris Long. I'm James Flowers. And our guest today needs no further introduction. It's our favorite Catholic. Evan Thornton. Boom! Evan, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Am I peaking? I feel like I'm really loud. Okay. Talk louder. All right. So for everyone at the top of the show, uh, we have more people than microphones. And I'm not saying it's Nate's fault, but I'm not saying it's not Nate's fault. So Nate doesn't have a microphone. <laughs> so if he wants to contribute to the conversation, he's going to raise his hand and tell us what he wants to say. And then I'll repeat it for the audience. Does so, that make sense? So tonight, we're going to basically have a translator. Yes. Translation. So cool. if there's a moment where it's silent, it's probably him trying to give us some wisdom. <laughs> wisdom from Nate. That's a first. I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm yo. sorry. I'm is sorry. This a Pentecostal joke? <laughs> he, just, he, he, he just said out loud, is this a Pentecostal joke? So yeah. Are we going to transcribe everything he Every says? single word, every single He's breath. Have some tongues to say. Nate just said, quote, ha, ha, ha. oh man evan thank you for joining us today sir yes sir of course so let's kick it back all the way to the beginning where are you from what's your upbringing who are your parents (laughs) i'm from little old wilson north carolina Mm -hmm. i grew up in a uh, good old southern baptist household going to church multiple times a week um pretty conservative upbringing um, pretty normal, I think, kind of conservative, the relatively strict. Yeah, the stereotypical Southern, good old boy mm-hmm. upbringing. Went to a very rural school because my mom worked there, so I was always, you know, the teacher's kid, which, mm-hmm. you know, brings its own set of things with it. Um, went to little old Lee Woodard out in Black Creek, North Carolina. Shout out. Yeah, that's the sticks. I know. <laughs> Literally the poorest school in the county, so... For those of you that have no clue where and when we're talking about, just picture a banjo as like 12 years of education. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. like the epitome of this kind of location. Yeah. I mean, I live near there. Take it easy. <laughs> it's this nice little town. Yeah. I mean, it's it's cute. <laughs> it's yeah, got its little quirks. It's bigger than Quaint. the town I live in, but yeah. Cool. So... You know, you're brought up in that. You mentioned you're the teacher's son. What kind of struggles or problems did that cause? Well, you know, I think looking back, I was too smart for my own good. Mm. Uh, Just being like, um, you know, like the AIG program, the Academically Gifted Kids program. And um, my never been like really an athletic type, never been. I've never been really competitive when it comes to sports or like physicality, but I've always been really competitive when it comes to intellect. And when you go to a school like Lee Woodard where no one freaking cares, mm. uh, I was, I guess you could say, a little bit of an outcast, but nothing too bad. I always had friends growing up. Um, what kind of friend groups did you keep around? So we had the nerds. Mm-hmm. We had the autistic kids. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, yes, there's a big overlap. Uh, there's there. a huge yeah. overlap. I feel like there could be like a lot of mixing there. Yeah, there's a lot of mixing there. 
dude yeah and um it's 2023 i think we need to clarify there's nothing wrong with there's, that yeah there's it's nothing just, wrong with it i mean that, that's, i mean that bible study literally, we took a test and we all are on the spectrum oh my so gosh. we just we were just curious i mean that's literally going to be my professional field so yeah uh, but yeah uh i mean also church friends like i think most of us had growing up mm-hmm. uh yeah if you're from group of church um especially you know being there like three or four nights a week. I mean, my family was really involved growing up. Kind of less so when I got older. Um, was a band kid, mm. uh, which, you know, brings its own sort of stereotypes. <laughs> but I was one of the popular band kids, so I'll make that oh. distinction. Uh, the, the uh, what is it, clinically online? I was Isn't a clinically online, sure, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that. Um, yeah, did, I was, yeah, that was my whole life for a while. That was my whole friend group. And that was kind of, um, I started out going to like really involved with Peace Church, went to their youth group, um, was involved with, yeah, okay. That's <laughs> how Evan and James know each other. Just a bombastic side eye over here. <laughs> I, no, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. A bombastic side eye. Okay. Wow. For those that don't know, that's a larger Baptist church in the area. Yes, yes. Just for One some of the larger context. Ones. Yeah, so I went there, um. They have a, I don't know how it is now, and I love a lot of people there, so I don't want to hate on them, but they, it was a really clicking environment for me, and so mm-hmm. both me and my sister kind of went away from that, and my family kind of got less involved as time went on, too. Um, but I, I went to their youth group, um, then when I got in band, I kind of started going around, and that was kind of my whole rebellion phase, And but I still, like, I've always, like, valued my uh, religion, my Christianity, my faith, um, and it's always been a central part of my life. Um, mm. I've always, I feel like I've always had a relationship with Jesus. So, um, I never like stopped going to church. I would just go to like different churches. So actually for a while, the church I went to, uh, was this house church. It was like mm. just about five people in a house, um, downtown Wilson. We call that Bible study. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Every Look, Thursday night. <laughs> no, but the funny thing was, it was like a normal church, just like literally you have like you have like four people in a band singing to like two people on the couch <laughs> and me being one of them and then a pastor with a podium giving a whole sermon wow just to like five people to pull out some bulletins that they printed on I the know, uh, household printer but one of my microsoft paint <laughs> oh like sand spot <laughs> <laughs> yeah um one of my best friends, that was her house, and so I would go there a lot. Um, they had, like, a little youth group, which also had, like, a free meal. That was fun. So mm. I did that. Then um, kind of did the surge thing for a while. I mean, I feel like that was the popular thing with all the kids these I days. I think that was a phase. So yeah, you, a lot. That was, like, that was a phase for everyone in Wilson County. You were cruising from large youth group yeah, to large yeah. youth well, group. Well, except for the house church. I was tiny. Right, yeah. Um, my dude went, like, cold turkey and then went a whole nother route, and he's like, mm, maybe I need to go back. And <laughs> Yeah, high school, uh, when I first got into high school, my freshman year was kind of a rough year for me. Um, kind of, long story short, got a, a friend group that got completely left out uh, because of a whole thing that happened, and then kind of found another friend group, and then my friend invited me to a little old church called Wilson Community Church, which mm-hmm. meets in an old cinema in Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> and wonderful church, wonderful people. Went there throughout high school, kind of uh, reclaimed my faith there, kind of got really involved, was a youth leader, 
um, first as a student leader and then after I graduated as a uh, fully-fledged youth leader there. Was really involved with the church, was in the worship band. Yeah, and then... What instrument? What instrument? So in the worship band, let's see, I was... Um, yeah, I played violin and cello sometimes mm-hmm. and also sang. Yeah, those are my main things. And so I, do you play violin or the fiddle? So I would say I play violin. I'm I'm pretty pretty familiar with fiddle. Okay, um, so you play with strings and not strings. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I was I was classically trained. Uh, for anyone that has maybe played any string instrument, I I was taught the Suzuki method, which is oh, a pretty yeah, pop- yeah. yeah pretty popular thing. Um, okay. Hypothetically, if I didn't know what that was, <clears throat> it's a motorcycle. It's more. <laughs> it is a motorcycle, motorcycle method. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> What, can you detail what the Suzuki method is? So, um, basically, there was this guy, who I don't know his full name, but his last name was Suzuki. He's this Japanese guy, really into music pedagogy. I just never came up thought. With. <laughs> really? Wow, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to throw you off track. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, he was this music pedagogy expert in Japan and just kind of popularized this method of teaching people violin. Mm-hmm. Um do I know really what differentiates it from other things? Not at all. Yeah, but it's more of a way of learning classical, me- typically classical violin. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. It's more formal than some other methods. So yeah, when did you start formal. learning these different instruments? So I started violin when I was um, maybe four, but definitely by five years old. I mm-hmm. um, had a lesson every week from five years old to 18. And was that the only, like, extracurricular you were involved in, or did you have other stuff that you were doing, too? Um, I mean, it was the main one, definitely. I, um, let's see. I did karate for a little while, but not that much. Nice. Um, <laughs> and, like I said, I was a band kid, so I did a lot of other instruments. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it. Was it on this podcast in Season Zero, Nate and James helped me out here? That we had a conversation at some point about every kid in Wilson does karate at some yes. point. I think that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah we, we, we did. And <laughs> we were talking about yeah. the name of the shop and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. always either karate or taekwondo. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm a black belt. And it's like, okay. <laughs> that's like the other kid next to you. <laughs> yeah. I built such a broad I mean, hey, man, I'm a second-degree black belt, so... I mean, I mean are you really? <laughs> yeah, actually. Oh, I, I I never knew that, Chris. I was one of those Taekwondo kids. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, Wilson, everybody knows Taekwondo, so don't rob anybody. And be careful, because if you say Anna Grace or Emma Grace, you're going to find about 100 of them around here within a one-mile radius. Really isolating our listenership here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's not a single Anna Grace or Emma Grace listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> They're everywhere, but I, I I can't... I don't know. What'd you say, Nate? I said, well, not right now. Well, not right now. Well, not now. right now, yes, because we're recording it. I think we have a lot of Emily's, but spelled L-E-E-I-G-H. <laughs> oh, me. It's either that or E-M-I-L-E-E. I mean, I'm dyslexic, so I just don't care. James, I can't wait to clip that for the group chat. Oh no! <laughs> There's a we know an Emily that's spelled that way, and <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So now uh, I need to see how my cousin is spelled Emily. <laughs> we've completely derailed. So we were talking about your extracurriculars. Yeah. What else did growing up childhood look like for you? I mean, like, what were your grades in school? 
How was your relationship with your family? That kind of stuff. So grades were good. Um, I'd say I have a pretty growing up. Definitely when I was younger, definitely had a very solid relationship with my family. Um, spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up, mm-hmm. especially. Um, like I've always I've always spent a long time with my grandparents because when I was like in preschool, my uh, back then my dad was working, and he worked at Firestone, which everyone knows is like hell. Uh, yeah. So he was always working all the time. My mom, uh, school counselor, she had full time job, obviously. So I would spend every day there, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then my parents, I think kind of the standard good old boy thing of relatively well actually i don't know about standard but my mother um she's kind of i would say she actually wears the pants of the family relatively uh strict well put together person um dad um somewhat emotionally distant which is i think a common denominator for people yeah unfortunately i think that definitely happens all too often especially with fathers and sons in particular yeah definitely yeah so was that something that was strenuous or if you don't want to talk about it we can jump forward but do you feel like there's a strain in that relationship because of that so um i think growing up i think this is a universal experience um but growing up you kind of start to see your parents flaws and kind of understand Mm -hmm. where they're coming from uh and think especially in the last few years I've been able to really understand like the mental place where my dad's coming from because mm. he had a really rough childhood uh, mm. and has a he's had a really rough life really. Um, like his sister and his mother uh, killed themselves actually. Wow. Mm. Uh, and just had a lot of rough things and uh, so he has a big struggle with mental health and so and I you know you see the patterns that they have in your own life and you kind of are able to relate where sometimes he'll be like really emotional. And I really want to be lovey-dovey, you know. And then the rest of the time, he doesn't really mm. say anything to you. And so the the issue, and I don't, I think it's more of an issue with his relationship with me than my relationship with him, is that sometimes he'll switch from the the coldness to the lovey-dovey attitude. Uh, but I won't be in like the mm. let's hang out attitude. And right. so he'll like think that I'm being really cold to him. Mm. When in reality, it's like. It's kind of cyclical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So. Just got dark really quick. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, we get deep occasionally. Yeah. Like, we laugh, but the ones that where we get deep, those are the good ones. <laughs> so. Um, I'm an open book. So. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we can keep talking about this or we can go another direction. Do it, you you're want, the Chris? topic of conversation, sir. So if you feel like you have more to say about this, we can keep going. If not. About that? Just like on a general basis? No, not much more. Okay. So. Through high school, you said you're bouncing around to all these different youth groups. What dynamics change throughout that? So, yeah, I'm getting good at this interviewer thing. Yeah, bro. <laughs> what dynamics changed, man? Um, Nate's giving me the stink eye right now. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> I would say more, but I, I'm also learning a lot myself, which yeah. you kind of have the cheat sheet, so it's like... <laughs> Plus, you know him. So I went like, to school for this. I yeah, mean, yeah. Not to toot my own horn. I'm sorry. Please keep going. English department at ECU. Yeah, dude. We I, can get there. We can definitely get there. Dude, I, I've texted Chris that, um, like, when I've gone into the English department, 
it just smells up there, man. Dude. There's some interesting folks up there, man. Something in the water up there in the second floor bait building, I'm telling you. It makes people put on the cat ears, man. <laughs> hey, yo. The cat ears and the fish nets. But I love my Dr. And... Margaret Bauer. Oh, I love Dr. Bauer. She's the best. I'm trying she to actually. Me to New to... York. She's the one that did that? Yeah. That's really cool. All I can think of is you just described someone's pipe. Now they're interested in that department. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. I hope I'm just existing. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So dynamics throughout high school. Yeah. So um, definitely was really unsure of myself. Um, eighth grade, ninth grade, um, kind of band was my whole identity at one point because I I spent a lot of time because I was in marching band, which um, if anyone's involved with that, you know, it's like about five, ten hours a week mm-hmm. um, commitment. Um, so it's really more than that. And so that's all I did outside of school, really. And um, then also outside of the marching band season, I did something called indoor percussion, mm-hmm. um, which is like marching band, but surprise, surprise, inside. Whoa. <laughs> also surprise, surprise, only percussion. No way. Uh, so, yeah, did that and did um, competed with something called WGI, Winter Guard International, which is kind of a more professional competition group uh so travel to like new york and um uh, championships in dayton so good old 50 hours awake i have a funny story with that actually i uh we had a conversation in spartanburg mm-hmm. and um it was a it was a really rough time leading up to it like mm-hmm. one person we had like had an anxiety attack and we had a lot of things go wrong and uh we get out there and we had these like tom drums um i think that's what you call them i don't really know anymore and um you're, we're running behind so we set them up like really really hastily and you have to screw them together because uh, they're kind of apart and i kid you not like three separate times during the performance they just fell over oh gosh and so the person that was playing them like got petrified and so i had to like stop what i was doing like or get to like a break when i what i was doing and uh, go over and help them because you can't stop. That would take us a lot of points off. Mm-hmm. But we got through that performance. That was one of the most interesting things I've had because you got like three mm. hundred uh, ish people in there staring at you, and it's like fell. It's like you your underwear falls down. You know, yeah. like that's what it feels like. Wow. But yeah, that was a fun thing. Uh, but yeah. Um, also, with band, kind of gotten to more. Um, I guess you could say uh, progressive environment mm. uh, politically and culturally. So kind of struggled with a lot of identity, especially with um, problems I had in high school. So we'll go ahead and get into that. Basically, the most penultimate point of my life uh, that, I, that I would point to um, is that uh, in freshman year of high school, during my Christmas break on New Year's Day, I uh, was sexually assaulted. Uh, and so that was kind of a penultimate point of my life. And... And it was by a friend, and so that's why I said, you know, mm-hmm. kind of that left that friend group, joined a different friend group. Mm-hmm. Um, caused a lot of, like, identity issues. Um, yeah, kind of going back full circle to what I was saying, going back to um, Wilson Community Church, getting and plugged in there. Um, I literally, like, went to youth group one week, and they were like, you want to sign up for camp? Like, it's in a few weeks. And I was like, okay. And they're like, give us $400. And I was like, <laughs> mom, please. And she was like, okay. Por favor. <laughs> uh, but yeah. 
Yeah, I don't want to dwell on your penultimate moment too much because it's definitely a subject to be taken very lightly. Yeah. But how how do you, I guess, shift is the word? How do you make those life changes that you have to to move forward? Because I'm sure there's, a, like, anger there to a d- extent. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, and, sure. I mean, I'm sure there, it's not just emotional, but also, like, spiritual physical i mean it's just like it it applies to all of that so like how do you do that so i'd say this is a pretty universal thing for people that have had this type of trauma is that uh the main thing they struggle with is a sense of guilt mm-hmm. um and i think for most of us like if you've had something major happen to you 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 uh, your your temptation is to think that it's your fault and so mm-hmm. kind of working through that and like uh I went to therapy for a long time, uh, so and kind of what that process looked like was, um, like the whole therapeutic process was telling my story over and over just so I could be comfortable with that it happened, uh, mm-hmm. and just to be able to say that yes, this happened and it doesn't define me, um, and it's something that over the years I've struggled with less and less, and it's kind of interesting, interesting to see how that works because um, used to have like a lot of triggers emotionally that are no longer really there. Um, like every year kind of gets easier and easier. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, one big thing is that night I watched Jurassic Park. So for a long time, I could not watch any Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mom, bless her heart, she wants to strong arm me into getting better. So she was like, when Jurassic World came out, she was like, we're going to see Jurassic World. Oh, I was gosh. like, oh, please no. And then I went. But And then also I didn't eat burgers for a long time because I had a burger that night and mm-hmm. it reminded me of that. Um, but I recently started eating burgers again. Um, and then also around Christmas, um, which also is a pretty common thing, would get depressed, mm-hmm. have a lot of issues. Um, but that's really not really a thing for me anymore. Um, it's really... Um, not too much of a struggle. Uh, so thank God. it sounds like you had a really solid support group around you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that being a man that made it more difficult or easier to have that support around? Um, cause I mean like to, to put some background on my question, there's a stigma around men and sexual assault mm-hmm. because, you know, people think it can't happen to a man. So how does that affect how you heal from it? Yeah. So, hmm. I'd say the more, the, the more visible thing that um, it's caused is um, – when my parents found out, they, they wanted to press charges, and we did press charges. And going through the justice system, um, like when I went to court and testified, um, like the big question was, this guy is not really any bigger than you. Um, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. And so like there's this idea that um, like you should be able to fight back. But like when when you understand the responses people have to like – fear and um violence some people i mean just fight or flight i mean we all know fight or flight so and my typical reaction is freezing unfortunately Mm -hmm. um and so 
Um, and eventually I, I, I did not get what we did not get what we wanted in court, mm. uh, which was painful, but um, I'm glad that I fought. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, um, I think what makes it difficult for men is that um, men are the perpetrators of sexual assault. But if you look at those that are perpetrators of sexual assault, most of them have been assaulted themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think by ignoring the the vastness of the problem of male victims of sexual assault, um, we're kind of making this more and more of an issue for us. Because um, some statistics these days show that there's not too much of a difference in number between male and female victims of sexual assault. Wow. Especially among uh, juveniles. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's heavy. So what would your advice be to to survivors in general, but to young men especially who are going through trying to cope with this? Mm. I would say that uh, you're not alone, first of all. And um, I think the biggest thing that someone told me is that this doesn't change who you are. You're still um, a beloved son of God. As uh, we Catholics say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the imago dei, uh, image of God. Um, so you are still uh, worthy of love, and um, just it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And get help. Go to therapy. Uh, I know a lot of men don't want to go to therapy. I still don't like the idea of going to therapy, but you have to be like, Let's go to therapy. Yeah, for sure. Or at least like some spiritual direction, like get a good mentor in your life. Mm-hmm. If you don't have like a, if you're basically, if you have a problem with like your father or something, do your best to seek out like a good man of God that you can um, kind of model your life after that you can, someone that'll pour into you. And I know mm-hmm. that's like a daunting task, but like they're out there. You just, you just got to find them. Find a Paul and find a Timothy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So who was that for you? You know, you've had all these interactions with youth groups. You're very strongly convicted to find a good male role model. Who was that for you? So the big one that comes to my mind is uh, Joshua Winslow, mm-hmm. which you know good and well. Uh, mm-hmm. He's now the youth minister at Rally Road. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, we should have, had, we I should grew have up with him as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I saw my first Star Wars movie with him. That's awesome. <laughs> Dude, that's fantastic. <laughs> Which one was it? So Just sidebar it, real quick. Okay, so it was The Phantom Menace. All right, that's all we needed. No, 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 no. <laughs> Actually, no, it was episode four, but then I later saw The Phantom Menace with him. But you have to realize, that was like five-year-old me, so like Jar Jar. Mm. I mean, come on. It was... Okay, we have a Nate. Oh, I didn't mean to stop the whole guy. Oh, unfortunately... The only Star Wars movie I know through and through in my mind is The Phantom Menace. That's Nate said, said, unfortunately, the only Star Wars movie I know through and through in my mind is The Phantom Menace. Which, honestly, not, bad. not a bad Star Wars movie. It's better than the worst sequels. One. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel Nate like... Nate said critics think of the six. Actually, I think two is the worst, personally. I agree. Really? Two? Just because of the sand and how coarse it is and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Man, well, if someone is I skipping just... through this podcast, they're going to be like, what is <laughs> From happening? From Assault to Star Wars. Um, Dude, that's fantastic. 
Oh, me. But, man, Darth Maul was such a good character. He really is, yeah. <coughs> Underutilized. And, um, gosh. Uh, Liam Neeson. Bad. Liam I feel Neeson, bad man. for Dooku. So Steven. I mean, uh, he should have made it further. Welcome to the Star Wars. <laughs> Wait, Steven, Steven or Josh? Josh, I mean, Josh, I... My bad, I, I said Steven. I know Steven. I love Steven, too. Yeah. I love everyone in that youth group. I mean, that was just, like... Dub Youth, as it was called back then, was such a good community, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was in discipleship with Josh. Um, kind of, I think when you're like in a really depressed situation, when um, people struggle with massive depression, when they struggle to really do anything, just having like a, a thing to do every week to look forward to is mm-hmm. something good. Mm-hmm. And to have those conversations where I knew that. Um, like he was intentional and in pouring into my life, um, that he really wanted the best for me, uh, and that he was really consistent with me. Like really meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's like a big thing that I'd say to like all guys um, is that, um, and just all people in general when we're talking about things like evangelization, is that like the most important thing is to like be consistent and be personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what he was for me. Um, he really got me out of that dark pit. That's awesome. So you go through high school, you finish high school. You're a Weka kid, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Wilson Early College. Unfortunately. So and now I help out with those people. For the listeners who don't know, the rest of us normal kids look at them with a little bit of a side eye. Oh, really? <laughs> at least I wasn't homeschooled. Okay, okay. Take oh, it easy, my guy. Take it easy. Nate said, I went to an early college. Your boy was homeschooled, but... He went to classical conversation. So he did some oh, here like, we go. college here stuff we go. within homeschool with a group of people. So there's not like, a single public school education in this room right now. <laughs> oh, I forgot. You were a little Wilson Christian boy. Yeah. Anyway. Dude, that's the worst. <laughs> but I mean, at least you'll have somebody to take the school. prom compared to me just looking at the mirror. But it's whatever. Anyway, so you finished Weka. You get your associates, right? Yes, sir. Bang, bang. That's the, the That's benefits of an early college program. Yeah. <laughs> Nate's shaking his head like, yeah, that was me too, baby. And now I <laughs> reset passwords for people, a part of Weka. Nice. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> IT guy over there. Did you like work, work for the community college? Yeah, yeah. I'm the IT guy. He's the IT guy. The IT guy. He's well, it. one of the IT guys. So he's just a IT Nate guy. Nate has a contribution. How many password requests do you Reset request you get a day. It depends on the day. Since August is starting and it's gonna be fall, August is gonna be blowing up. But during the summer, I maybe get a phone call every two days. Wow. So you mean you actually have to like talk to you to get a password? I mean, you can do it yourself. But if the person changes their phone number, they have to go through me, Mm -hmm. so I can change the phone number and the password. So you get your associate's degree. I do. Yeah. (laughs) And you decide that you are going to take your talents to the number one public university in North Carolina. Yale. Go Pirates, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So you go to ECU. Yes, East Carolina. Not to be confused with Eastern Carolina. Please don't call it that. If you call it Eastern Carolina, please unsubscribe right now. Please don't. Don't listen to him. I need my 100K a month. No. <laughs> I'm messing. I'm messing. I wish. James is taking all the revenue. <laughs> Every single drop. <laughs> we haven't even made that much altogether yet. We haven't made nothing we yet. We haven't made a tenth of that. We haven't made a one thousandth of that. 
Okay, I don't think. okay. Why is Nate yeah, looking think. around? Okay, now I'm like really. <laughs> I think we've made a dollar. Maybe nice. one. It's one more dollar than I've made off of it. Where? I don't know. <laughs> Someone donated? Yeah, probably. I mean, you're, you're which halfway there donated. to paying for my Arizona tea right now. <laughs> yeah, right. I did donate cheese once. Okay. <laughs> we did have some sponsors in the in the early days. Anyway, um, so <laughs> so you decided to go to ECU. That's kind of where you're at right now. Yeah, so in high school, I originally decided, or I originally intended on applying to like quite a few colleges, and then mm-hmm. I ended up only applying to ECU, UNC Asheville, and Harvard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One of these things is not like the others. I know, dude. Oh, well, I so my thought process originally was like I really, I really wanted a liberal arts education, um, and I really kind of wanted to go to a, a more, I guess, privy school, um, but. Then um, my family is not very wealthy, so I was looking into what could I afford. And so it appeared to me to from the beginning that Harvard would be the only one with substantial enough financial aid out of the Ivies that I could afford. Mm. Then right after I got in, I found out Dartmouth was like substantially increasing their financial aid, which mm. really sucked because I actually that was my number one choice before. But yeah, so Harvard, I I yeah, got I an interview. I got an interview. I did the interview, and then got waitlisted, mm. and then never got off the waitlist, which is a pretty common Yikes. story. But went to ECU. But you got waitlisted. I know that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Well, I've heard like the interview is actually good. Um, it was it was weird. Recently, I was at a conference in DC, and most people there go to Ivy's, mm. and I was just like. These are people I wanted to be. <laughs> um, you wanted those to be your peers. I know. But, but instead, you're a, stuck with me. I'm just a sad old Wilson, <laughs> North Carolina boy. So you decide to go to ECU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you majoring in? So that's changed quite a bit. Uh, right now, my psychology and philosophy double yeah. major. Take us through the whole gambit of so, ideas. Uh, originally, I was dead set on being a doctor, as a lot of people are. Um and um, I really wanted for a while now to somehow work within child abuse. Um, and so I was had my eyes set on a subspecialty called uh, child abuse pediatrics. And, um, yeah, so I want to be a doctor first. And so I was a biochem major. And um, then I had chemistry class, and then I decided I hate chemistry. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I remember that. <laughs> you did? Yeah, that's funny. Just middle chemistry, chemistry class throwing the chemicals. Dude, Nate said been there, done that. My first year and a half, I I have like gone through half of my withdrawal credits. It's oh, my good. gosh. <laughs> that's <laughs> the, crazy. The spring semester my first year, I had two classes I was taking. Wow. Oh. Um, For context, I used one withdrawal credit. <laughs> Chris is better than me. How no, many, not how really. How many do you get? 16? Yeah, 16. Yep. And you said you used half? Yep. Well, actually, I think I've used like nine. Something like that. I don't really know. Which is really only three classes because it's three credits per withdrawal. Okay. Yeah. So that was... um. But still, three classes is yeah. a lot. It is. <laughs> it's like almost a semester. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And so I changed to nursing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like... Yeah, <laughs> I think it's he's a, following Nate's exact. This career is not path an right uncommon. Route. It ends in sales. 
Dude. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it ends in ministry. Um. <laughs> oh no. Please continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've been I've been a psychology and philosophy major for I guess a year now. Um and I guess right now the plan is to go to um Sorry, pursue my PhD in psychology somewhere. Hmm. Um, don't know where, because for those who don't know, that's like a super competitive PhD to yeah. get into. Um, like even the like even like the bottom tier school, like at the bottom of the list, it still has like only a twenty percent acceptance rate. Mm. Well, the good news is I hear Dartmouth is really increasing their financial aid. So, <laughs> well, the, actually, the good thing about psychology PhDs is that pretty much universally they're all free. Yeah. Uh, but that's why they only usually take like three students. Mm. Most of them. Yeah. Nate said, "What?" Yep. He's over here looking at his pockets. Do you have a follow-up question to that, Nate? That's wild. I didn't know that. That's okay, wild. That wasn't a question. I didn't know that. Quotation well, mark. <laughs> Nate. Uh, I guess I should qualify. That is PhDs. Um, for PsyDs, which is like a practitioner doctorate, mm-hmm. um, a lot of more private schools have that, and they usually let in a lot more people, but it's not research-oriented, and it's definitely not free most of the time. I mean, yeah. there's a few programs that are free, but most of the time it's like you're looking at 70000 a year, mm-hmm. which for a job that I'll most likely max out at like maybe – 110, I do not want a $500,000 loan. 110, he says casually. 110. As I make less than a third of that. (laughs) Well, I'm not saying that it's nothing. I'm just saying that $500,000 in loans. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Yeah, that's the substantial part there. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to financial peace. That's that's when you become one of those organ donor people, and you you work under the table. You know what I'm saying? Like. No, I don't, and I okay. don't want to. We're not going to worry about it. <laughs> but, dude, I there's this, like, little Catholic conservative college in Virginia that is just a psychology grad program called Divine Mercy University. And mm-hmm. um, I know they're a good program, but everyone's like, you should go there, get a good Catholic formation. I'm like, it's $70,000 a year in the DMV area, which, you know, the cost of housing and living is just astronomical. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have a massive amount of debt. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just like... Eighty thousand a year, free. Yeah, I, that's a pretty substantial. It's a difference. big difference. Yeah. So, so since it would be a Catholic one, would that be your tithes and offerings for the yeah for the semester as well, or was that? Yeah, just... it's my indulgences I'm paying. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you're earning salvation through that. Yes, okay. Yes, yes. okay. You can attempt murder one time. That's how yes. much it pays for. Wow. <laughs> you can't do it. You can attempt it though. <laughs> you, have play the <laughs> <laughs> you have to be like drats <laughs> so speaking of catholicism <laughs> yes the real reason we brought you in today yes so you have a very unique story at least for you know what we hear about regionally mm-hmm. you converted from protestantism to catholicism yes sir i want to hear more about that so let's give you the whole rundown and you know the beginnings of the story very yeah, well. Yeah, it's kind of my fault. <laughs> yeah. So Chris and I got into a lot of theological discussions with these two sisters that we worked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at Chick-fil-A, uh, after work, we would talk. And um, 
the listeners are going to be like, is every episode going to be someone who worked at Chick-fil-A? And the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because everyone just happened to work at Chick-fil-A at some point. Everybody in Wilson County has been a member there, except for me, it feels like. It's like your... uh, Your time's coming. Oh, no. No, it's not. It's like uh, military service. Like, you have to serve at least one year at Chick-fil-A. Thank you for serving. It was my pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Catholicism. Yeah. Take a quick I really drink just real spilled quick. that on me. That's fantastic. you just dumped the Arizona <laughs> tea. I was like, "You was gonna do that?" I was trying to do it. There's like silence. I was trying to do a speed drink. It did not work well for me. It was like out the side of my mouth. Anyway, I digress. You want to take another sip? We can fill the time. No, I'm good. Okay, you're good. Um, Nate said he didn't lock the downstairs door, so he's frantically making sure no one broke in. I really just thought he was speaking in tongues. <laughs> I mean, tomato, <laughs> tomato. Am I right? But yeah. So now that I mean, Nate's it, sound, gone, it sounds like a kidding. joke. I mean, two Baptists, a Catholic, and a Pentecostal walk into a room. Like, I mean, it sounds like a beginning Dude. of a joke. Two Baptists, a Pentecostal, and a Catholic walk into a podcast studio. I don't have a punchline. I, I, I don't know. I so was Catholicism. Yes. So <laughs> no more rabbit trails. We're done. So there, they had a brother who went to seminary. Um. For a while, he is now married, so obviously he didn't finish seminary. Mm. Um, didn't know uh, that. Oh, you didn't know that, really? Mm-mm. He was married when we talked to him. And basically, no, I knew and, he was married. I didn't know he didn't finish seminary. Oh, well, like he got a degree, but I, I, what oh. I mean by that is that he didn't become a priest. Gotcha. Because, okay, like, I'm with you now. Of course, there are exceptions to the rule, but generally, Catholic priests um, are unmarried. Mm-hmm. Um. But okay, okay, I get what you're saying now. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Got gotcha. you. Yeah, so uh, Chris and I got into this group chat on Instagram oh DMs where with, it all goes down. Yes, with Chris and I, and this guy, and then the two girls. And then, um, further backstory I was dating one of the girls um, for a good amount of this time a good um, on again, off again relationship. Not really, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, but there was well, there was one point, yeah, but that was like a long time after this, yeah. Um, this doesn't matter yet. Go yeah, ahead. this doesn't matter. Um, so we kind of got into just the debates. Um, I would send a paragraph, he would send a paragraph, then um, I'd respond and call them both stupid. No, I'm just <laughs> Sounds like Chris at this point was making his transition to, from. Good old boy, uh, Southern Baptist to uh, Calvinism too, <laughs> which I have always been unequivocally anti-Calvinist. So yeah, that's another story. Um, it's a fun relationship, Evan and I have. I know, um, <laughs> but I, I also had like outside of the group chat private messages with this guy. We were, t- and the funny thing is, I would, I was not. I I don't have a seminary education. I'm not nearly educated enough to really have fundamental discourse. So I would. Go and consult with Mr. Joshua Winslow. Mm. Uh, he would send me back something. Sometimes I would just copy and paste what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and it still has his name at the bottom of the email. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> still has the hey man at the beginning. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, fun times. Um, yeah, one, one day I was just like, you know what? Let me just go try it. Like, go to a mass. See what it's all about. Like, oh, no. This is how heroin starts. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I go to a mass, and I 
I go to a Sunday mass at the cathedral in Raleigh, uh, Holy Name of Jesus Cathedral, which is the newer cathedral, very massive. Raleigh actually went from having the smallest cathedral in the United States to having the fifth largest church wow. in the United States. Also, that's a very generic name for a cathedral. <laughs> what, Holy Name the of Holy, Jesus? Yeah, Holy Name of Jesus. <laughs> yes, it's actually y- unique. Two things, big ups, Raleigh. Um, second, uh, did you just compare joining Catholicism to heroin? He, he did, he did. I'm just, I was but saying, as a like, joke. yeah, oh, I know. yeah, I mean, like, it only takes it. once, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yep. Get that drug in you. Clearly, he's addicted yep, pretty to much. Catholicism. <laughs> I don't want the Catholics listening to this to think that I hate Catholicism. I he does. very much don't hate them. He does. Okay, well, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I think we should probably back up for a half a second. Sure. What is what point of your life is this during where we're having these conversations in this group chat? Is this so, when you're in college? How old about are you? Yeah, so this was in my uh, senior year of high school, which was um, fall of 2020 when this started, like October of 2020. Great um, time in my life, dude. Not really. COVID. <laughs> okay, well that sucks for you. Like but three months before was, but co- uh, initial COVID was the best time in my life it was a ball dude it was the single most momentous recovery period of my mental health yeah that's ever happened because i went from just school every day like a normal kid to uh i only had like a couple college classes that semester because how weka works like um you do i i kind of did a lot of um, classes early on and was kind of ahead of the crowd because um on my credits I needed for high school and did also summer classes. So that semester I had like two college classes um, and I just went online and I was like doing barely anything for school. I was just working a lot, I um, which I enjoyed Chick-fil-A really. I really did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would walk five miles a day around Lake Wilson, uh, which is phenomenal for my mental health, um, being outside a lot. Um, Going and hanging out with my friends, um, yeah, it was it was a great time. Shout out to COVID. I know, <laughs> dude. I I know it sucked for a lot of people, but for me, it was a great time. Um, Evan's like, I don't know what y'all are molding about. It was great, dude. All these Yankees <laughs> staying inside and down south. We were just having fun. I was going fishing, and yeah, I, just, I was tired of everybody fishing. I'm like, and now you come out to fish, dude. dude. Peak COVID, like, okay, this is gonna sound terrible. Yeah. Peak COVID was the best time to be a Chick Fil A employee. We had dude, so much fun. It was so much fun. Like, I it sucked when people went back inside. Yeah, yeah it really did. Chick Fil A to Star Wars. To- <laughs> the only sucky thing is like the short amount of time that they made us all sit at different tables remember that yeah that was stupid i just didn't apply to those rules so yeah as i was saying um during covid sitting everyone sitting at separate tables Mm -hmm. which sucked um but i mean i understand why they did that it was fine it it was funny though when they did the whole thing remember of uh you know you're not allowed to wear mask and then like literally right after that they're like you have to wear masks yeah that was hilarious you have to wear our brand of mask (laughs) yeah which honestly those are just fire they were the best masks. i still have them i sold all my cow masks oh i forgot about that you sold to that girl yeah that was funny yeah that was really funny um (laughs) yeah one of nate's friends roommates or not nate uh, evan's friends roommates yeah yeah that was a good time made bank off some cow masks. <laughs> yeah, so that was 
Yeah, the conversion senior year of high school. Right, Catholicism. Yes. Back to, we've so, rabbit trailed so much. I was, I'm actually so, curious about hearing it. And then yeah. it's like, oh. <laughs> so it was this fall, this fall, uh, or that fall uh, of 2020, um, first mass, went to the cathedral in Raleigh, uh, which is a beautiful cathedral, uh, beautiful church. Um, first time I've ever, like, I think maybe the first time I've ever heard a church organ live. Oh, wow, um, really? Hmm. And they have a massive organ. Hmm. It was it was phenomenal. It was like earth shaking. Uh, it was just like a beautiful thing. Um, and also, if, you, if it's your first time going to mass, you're like, what is happening? Because like, you stand, you sit, and you do all these things, mm-hmm. and people say things, and you don't know what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> and also that mass, they had uh, baptisms, which of course were of infants, which was new to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not that in, like not that um, incredibly like. Inducing. It, yeah. it wasn't like that incredibly different because I'm used to like baby dedications, mm-hmm. which are really not that much different than a yeah. baby baptism. Just different uh, symbolism behind it. It's pretty much the same elements. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just thought it was like one of the most beautiful things I've ever been to. Um, one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. And so I was like, I, I want to go more often. So I um, started going to daily mass at St. Therese and Wilson every day. Um, and because it was COVID, I didn't have anything to do. I was <laughs> you just were like, like, you were the unemployed friend on a Tuesday doing side quests. Dude, yeah. <laughs> He's in there with this Nintendo DS Lite just playing games. Well, <laughs> oh, just, man. I don't know why. I just picture Evan being the only one showing up for the mass every day. <laughs> it's just <laughs> you and the priest. Just, let's get it. <laughs> Dude, it was me and a bunch of old people. Yeah. Um, That's our normal weekly routine, I'm sure. I mean, there's some younger people there, too, but... Um, Here's the every difference. now and then, but it was yeah, it was mostly me. And but the priest that does that, um, he recently passed. God rest his soul, oh, pa- really? Father Paul Brandt. Wow, um, Jesuit guy, crazy guy. He's hilarious though. Uh, he does like the Hispanic ministry there. And during his homilies, which if you don't, so the funny thing about Catholicism is that uh, it's just like a whole different world because we use like different language for the same thing. So. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say a few things so we know what I mean when I say them. A homily is essentially a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, a prayer intention is, for whatever reason, the word we use for prayer request. Um, that's actually about Yeah, it. I remember having to call you about some of these terms when I had to go interview the, yeah. the new priest at St. Therese. Yeah, so in his homilies, he'll just like talk to people in the... Just talk to people out in the congregation, which is a very strange thing to do for a Catholic priest. And he's like... He was like, I've never met you. And he just came over to talk to me. Uh, he was like the first priest to ever talk to, first Catholic I ever really had a, other than, like, of course, the people I was already in conversation with. Um, they just came up to me and, like, talked to me. He was a really great guy. Um, yeah, but went to day mass every day and kind of was really spiritually fed by that experience. Um, and then uh, I kind of became more convicted slowly like so my, I started having a little bit of a spiritual conversion because I just was really being fed by this um, daily mass thing that I was doing um, and also went to adoration a few times which um, I can describe that more later um, but yeah let's see I uh, went to a daily mass one time and I was like praying um, during the consecration which is like uh, the part where the priest blesses the uh, communion um 
essentially that's what it is. And I was praying like, Lord, you know, I really don't know about all this stuff. Like, I don't know if this is right, what this is doing, because all growing up, I like my only understanding of Catholicism growing up, by the way, is that they were like almost as bad as the Mormons, but not quite. Because mm. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of anti-Catholic prejudice in the South, but that's a whole True. other thing. Um, but I, I was just praying. I was like, Lord, you show the way. Uh, if this is what you're calling me to, then I'll do it. And then when the priest, the priest, when he uh, blesses the communion, he elevates it like that, um, which I know people listening can't see what I'm doing. But basically, he's, for those listening, he's it, raising his hands above. Holds it up like, like Lion like King, like yeah. Simba and Lion King. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and when that happened, I saw like this image of a blue crucifix on the host, which is like the bread. What? I was like this. It was like a sign. It was like basically just a sign. I felt. Was it mold? No. <laughs> that would be funny though. Actually, no, like what? Weird, what was it that it weird was little blue? tangent? There's like a lot of Eucharistic miracles out there because uh, if you don't know, Catholics believe in something called transubstantiation, which basically means that we believe that uh, the communion bread is literally the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and so, like those, there's miracles that'll happen where like blood comes out of it and stuff. And there's a, there's some that have been they always test them to make sure they're true and they had to be like approved by the Vatican all of different stuff. Have you witnessed um, anything like that? Uh, other than like the vision I've had and a couple other things, I haven't really seen anything like that. No. Okay, but I, I've heard a lot of stories. Um, and yeah, so they'll, they'll test it and some well, there's a lot of times where it's actually rare blood, but there's a few times where it's been tested and it's been found just to be like red mold mm. <laughs> essentially, uh, and they'll get rejected. Um, but yeah, that's a little tangent. But yeah, so that happened, and I was like, okay, well, I guess this is what I should do. So I um, I contacted the RCIA coordinator, which RCIA means Right of Christian Initiation for Adults, um, which is basically Catholic membership class. Uh, you go to every Sunday. Um, little old couple. Can I name drop them? Sure. David and Ann Bach, wonderful people, best people I know in Wilson, wonderful people, no offense. Shout out um, to them. Oh, yeah, if we don't count. They're like <laughs> saints on earth. I love those people. Um, well, I mean, all Christians are saints on earth, but that's just my little jab. <laughs> no one asked. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just had to throw that just as, just as a little joke back, you know what I mean. I know, I know. I'm just going to Looking at the audio bar from when I went, ooh, it's. Yeah, it kind of so peaked hard. out. <laughs> that was funny. Sorry, viewers. My bad. Listeners. Listeners. Viewers. <laughs> viewers with your ears. <laughs> All right. But yeah, uh, so they're wonderful people. Went, um, learned a lot through that. Started, uh, if anyone's Catholic out there or like a con- convert, uh, most of us are familiar with Catholic Answers and Assistant Presents, Father Mike Schmitz. God bless that man. Um Listened to him a lot. So I was learning a lot, kind of this whole new world that I was getting into. Um, I was really enjoying it, but I was also, like, still, like I said, I was a youth leader at my church, mm-hmm. um, and I was in the worship band. So literally, I was at church all day on Sundays. I would uh, wake up, go to worship band practice at 7.30, um, if I was on worship band that Sunday. Go um, do worship band, both services, go to Mass, go to RCIA go eat my one meal of the day and then go to dub youth um and left there or usually went out to eat after that actually um 
and was done by the day by like nine or seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. So long Sundays are long days, but I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, growing up, I was always at church like four or five times a week, so it wasn't abnormal for me to just be at church a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an environment I thrive in. So yeah, I was doing that. Um, then later on, like June, like after I graduated high school, so this is 2021, I um, really was just having a lot of issues with um, my spiritual life in relation to Catholicism because um, I I love the priest in Wilson. He's a or the one that used to be there, of course, but mm-hmm. um, really great guy. But he he's like really careful with converts. So he requires you to be in RCA for two years before you get confirmed or baptized. Uh, normally, that's usually like a nine-month thing, like fall to spring, um, coming in at Easter. But he did two years. And also another thing, which isn't really unnormal, abnormal, I mean, um, but he, yeah. <laughs> um, but he didn't do like first confessions until like the week before you went. And so basically my, my, the, my mentality I had with my spiritual life was that according to the church, and now no, understanding theology, Catholic theology a lot more now than I did then, um, my thought process was wrong, and I can go into that more later, but my thought process then was, okay, well, according to the Catholic Church, I'm in a state of mortal sin, which means that if I die right now, I'm going to hell. Uh, but also, the, the way to get out of that is for me to go to confession, but I can't do that. Um, and so, I feel like I have a relationship with God, but according to the Church, it's been cut off. Now, I, I understand now that the actual Catholic position is um, that at your moment of what's called perfect contrition, perfect repentance, or basically spiritual repentance, um, you're forgiven at that moment. You still have to go to confession, but at that moment you are forgiven. And also... So it would like, be the same as justification? Hmm? It would be the same as, like, justification, like, uh, as a parallel between... I'm trying to understand, like, the, the terminology, so like, you, the theology behind the Catholicism so, here. I'm, I'm, this is a legit question because I've talked to other Catholics and stuff, and that what you just explained, they basically said, you're a Christian, you wouldn't make it to heaven, but you'd go to purgatory for less time based no, off that. No, uh, mortal sin, if you're in a state of mortal sin, then you are basically, if you die in a state of mortal sin with no repentance, you are going to hell. Okay. Um, mortal sin means you've completely severed your relationship to God. So what would that be exactly? So like, mortal sin, how would that work? Uh, a mortal sin is any. Uh, it has to have three qualities to it. It has to be a grave sin, grave matter, um, a grave breaking of one of the Ten Commandments. Um, so basically, a major breaking, um, and that's really the that's really the, one of the main points of contention of debate is like wh- what is grave matter? Yeah, it seems um, like there's a lot of room for um, subjectivity there. As I mean, I feel like Jesus talking about lust is the same as adultery. I mean that that's on the Ten Commandments. So yeah, to so, what extent? So the general idea, the general like idea that I tell people and that I have for myself is. Um, like that I tell other Catholics, of course, is just go to confession uh, and don't worry. Don't, like, spend a lot of time thinking, is this a mortal sin? Is it not a mortal sin? Like, I go to confession every other week, which I can 
or I used to usually go like once a week, but it varies. Um, and it's actually something that I really love. It's one of the main things that I found rewarding about my conversion. I really love confession, which I can get to more later. Um, but basically, um, a grave matter would be like, um, it's, re it's really hard to quantify. It's kind of, um, the, the, the main defense I would give for it is um, if you try to, if you try to just throw out the whole thing because it's hard to really qualify, it'd be basically the fallacy of a beard, which I don't know if you've heard of the fallacy of the beard, but it's like... For those who haven't, please explain what it is. Yeah. So the fallacy of the beard, and I don't, I'm not an expert on theology or philosophy or anything, so I'm not the most qualified to talk about all this stuff, but uh, basically the fallacy of the beard is the idea that... Um, is stubble a beard? Like, when does it become a beard? You, we can't really, you don't, it's, there's a lot of debate on when it becomes a beard, but that doesn't, just because you don't exactly know when it becomes a beard doesn't mean that a beard doesn't exist. We know that a beard exists, um, that there is such a thing as a beard, but we don't know we, exactly when that happens. So just because we, I, um, there's maybe some points of contention on when exactly it becomes the grave matter doesn't mm -hmm. mean that something isn't grave. So, for example, um, oh, what really makes something uh, – actually, now that I'm thinking about this, the normal qualification of what is a grave matter is if it um, severely breaks or harms your relationship to God or another human. Um, so if you – like call your sister a name that's really probably not a moral sin but if you like really like curse her out or something like that uh that probably would be a moral sin because you've really you've really harmed her at that point so is there room there or so do you think it's a case-by-case -case basis that differs from person to person yeah because like so i haven't gone to the i've only mentioned one of the qualifications there's three qualifications mm -hmm. there's grave matter um it has to be with full knowledge that it is a sin and there has to be full uh, consent. Uh, and so there's a lot of debate, like, um, for a big thing for a lot of guys, uh, masturbation, pornography. There's a big debate there right now on, like, if it's an addiction, with addictions, is there always full consent? Mm -hmm. There's a big debate there. Uh, and the answer, like I said before, is I would say, go to confession. Don't try to have a theological debate with yourself. Just go to confession. Uh, but I like theologically debating with myself. I know, I know, I know. But, <laughs> but yeah, so, um, yeah, full consent. So there's a lot of, especially now that we know more about psychology. So, for example, um, used to, if a person killed themselves, they would not be eligible for funeral mass, unfortunately, mm -hmm. because the idea was that they died in a mortal, state of mortal sin. Uh, but now that we know more, as, like, we know more uh, about psychology uh, and mental health, uh, there's more of a thought process that um, men mental health issues greatly affect our um, level of consent for sin. Um, and so your culpability is lessened. It's not removed, but it's lessened. And so, yeah, stuff like that has been changed um, over time, uh, just the qualification of it. Yeah, so um, great matter, uh, full consent, and full knowledge that it is a sin. And by the way, full knowledge, um, just because there's also the idea of natural law. So we, uh, we believe in the philosophical concept of natural law, which means that um, some things are self-evident sin-wise. So just because you're not a Christian doesn't um, remove your ability 
to mortally sin because there's some things that we say are self-evident that they are sins. Uh, obvious one being like murder. Uh, but also, a lot of times we qualify some like sexual deviancy in that as well in the natural law. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so back to my whole mentality. So that was my big hindrance. And coming from the faith view in my high school, at least, I didn't grow up this way. Uh, but as Calvinism creeps more and more into Baptist churches, um, you see more and more of this theology of once saved, always saved. I grew up in a free will Baptist church, which, if you know a free will Baptist, they're more Arminian. Don't believe this. But in high school, I was really convicted of it. Once saved, always saved. And it was really hard to rectify that with the position of Catholicism. And so I went away for a while, and I went full back into Protestantism and was fully involved, was a youth leader. And then in the fall of my freshman year of college, I, decide, I, I knew in my heart that this isn't what God is calling me to. Um, and I went to a 5 p.m. Mass at St. Peter's Catholic Church in Greenville, North Carolina, and uh, just by myself. And, and then I was like, and this is not a, it's not like a cathedral mass. There's no pageantry here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I, I started going to the Newman Center at ECU, which Newman Center is like a college Catholic center. Got really involved there. Um, got really plugged in there. They have a great community. We have a, we have a really wonderful community. Um, and that kind of, I, I um, yeah, started RCIA back again while I was at the Newman Center, and then came into the church, uh, was confirmed and received First Communion um, Easter one year ago, 2022. Gotcha. So what are some of, let me back up and rephrase my question. There are some major differences between Protestant, Protestantism and Catholicism. And being raised in a Baptist church, you're obviously learning different things from Catholicism. How do you differentiate what you know to be truth as what you were taught growing up and as what you learn later? How do you come to the understanding of, okay, this is what I believe? Yeah, like theologically wise, um, and even more from that, like tradition wise, because I mean, Catholics have a lot more tradition than... Yes. Baptist would, mm. or just Protestant in general. He likes the traditionalism. <laughs> I love... Well, I mean, I, I mean, I was just asking, is I mean, that's how it typically is. So, I mean, I was yeah. just wondering. So, you're asking, like, how do I, um, how do I really see myself and from the different views? Basically? Why, why did what sticks out to being true to you? Since oh, so like, you're, you're asking theologically at... what I really saw as false. But okay, James and I are asking different questions, but answer his first. I was okay. Well, then my question is theologically, what is more appealing that you find true with um, being Catholic compared to Protestant? So my my big theological change, uh, my first thing that really hit me that I really changed positions on that can't really can't, everything else flows from is um, me coming to the realization that sola scriptura is false. Whoa! Which is, wow. Uh, Whoa, buddy. If you don't know, there's the five solas. You can't just say that around here. uh, You (laughs) asked me. I'm telling you the truth of what I believe and what I proclaim to be true. Um, For those that don't know, uh, in Protestantism, uh, Martin Luther wrote something called five solas. There's sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Uh, Soli Deo Gloria, Mm -hmm. glory to God alone. Um, 
Can you say the rest, Chris? I don't really know. I'm sorry. Um, Sola fide, right? It's faith alone. Yep. Faith alone. Sola gratia, uh, grace alone. Mm-hmm. Grace alone. Faith alone by grace alone. Mm-hmm. Um, which really we and wouldn't really alone. disagree with that much. Mm-hmm. Um, which we can quantify later. Um, what are the well, rest? We're of already now? at like the hour mark, so like. I mean, I would love to get yeah, deeper. Is we're actually getting into like deep stuff now. Yeah, but at the same time, let's get into the meat of it. Is what I'm saying. Let's not dance around it. Yeah. So. There's five solas. Sola that I really found my first really contention with is sola scriptura, scripture alone. Um, so in the Catholic Church, we have um, what some people call like the stool of truth, which like a three-legged stool. So you have the magisterium, which means the church and its bishops and priests and the pope. And you have uh, tradition, uh, which is... Uh, like early church writings, kind of going back through church history, was the church always taught? Um, and uh, the third uh, being scripture. Um, so all these sources of truth um, are sources of definitive truth, infallible truth. Um, and I need to qualify that by saying, no, not everything a certain bishop says is infallible truth. That's not what I mean. What I mean is certain official statements, like when the church has a council, what the council says is generally infallible truth. And again, I am not a theologian, and um, there is a lot of nuance to these types of things that I honestly do not know. But basically, in my understanding, is um, the church has the ability to make statements of infallible truth, and the Pope specifically has that ability uh, when he's making a statement on faith and doctrine ex cathedra, which um, is a special type of statement he makes um, from his papal chair. And um, there's also other statements that the church can make that are um, authoritative teaching that we adhere to generally, but are not necessarily infallible. So, for example, uh, we hold that... um, the death penalty is not intrinsically evil, but current church teaching, um, which is not infallible church teaching, but current church teaching says that um, the death penalty is um, evil. Uh, Not because it's intrinsically wrong, but because of the way society is structured now. Um, But things like other types of church teaching, for example, um, abortion, that is intrinsically evil, that is an official definitive church teaching, will not be changed ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then tradition. So you look at early church councils, what they taught, early church writings. um, And this is also like kind of a loose thing that I'm saying because there are um, certain saints that we call doctors of the church, um, so the great teachers, that um, we generally say with these that – any Catholic can hold to what this person taught. And that doesn't necessarily always mean that what they said was infallible and they can be wrong, but we hold it to generally be a good system of thoughts. So, so for example, the biggest one really in the history of the Catholic Church, um, today at least, is St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, who is uh, really the greatest philosopher of the Middle Ages, the High Middle Ages. Um, We finally agree on something. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I am heavily... Into Thomism, that's my philosophy. Uh, I, I started at a club at ECU called Thomistic Institute. 
Uh, well, it's a national thing. I went to a conference recently. That was the thing I was talking about with being around all the Ivy Leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really cool experience. But anyway, I digress. So, yeah, so there's three sources of truth in the Catholic Church. And so I would say scripture alone is false. Uh, not because I don't incredibly value scripture as being uh, truth, but that it is not the only sense of truth, that there are things not explicitly in Scripture that the Church is able to um, make definitive statements on. Um, for example, well, I mean, that I being think, Scripture itself. I don't think that Protestants would necessarily disagree with that. I think the disagreement is in that the Bible is the ultimate source of truth. The Bible is the only thing that is completely infallible to tell truth. Like there's no Pope or anybody that can give out truth that is different than outside the Bible. Like, like well, well, that's exa- precisely what I'm saying, though, is that um, the church is able to make definitive statements. Not that they, I, of course, a pastor or any Protestant theologian um, can say make conclusions and, and make statements that um, you might take very seriously. Um, but um, you, you don't get to the level of saying this is definitively true and there's no way you could be wrong because it's from God himself. Um, th- that's where we differ. Um, so the church and tradition, we'd say this is truth handed down from the apostles. This is truth from God himself. So do you believe the pope, priests, cardinals, the whole regime, what they say in regards to religion is fully infallible? No. Okay. Uh, that's, um, that's a misconception, I feel like. Sorry, guys, so, I went to go pee for a minute. <laughs> yeah, so there's, yeah, let's catch you up. There's um, certain types of statements that are infallible mm-hmm. uh, and others that are not. So if Bishop Luis Rafael of Raleigh says, like, some random thing, uh, and, like, any bishop is capable of saying heresy, um, and that's, I mean, that's why bishops have been excommunicated before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, when a church calls a council and it makes definitive statements at a council, or if the Pope makes a, a statement on um, faith and doctrine uh, from the, the chair of St. Peter, uh, at what's called an ex cathedra statement, that is an infallible clarification of faith, um, so which is if, rarely used. What if that contradicts? Just hypothetically, if that were to contradict something, it won't. That's my. But I'm saying hypothetically, if it did, would that crumble the the if, theology if, of it? If there, if this were, if the Pope said something ex cathedra that was demonstrably false, if he just said, if he made, if he somehow made, if there was a church council that made a definitive statement, an ex cathedra statement that. Um, Jesus was not God, then yes, all of Catholicism would crumble in that split second. Um, I mean, I feel like you're putting a lot of faith within man instead of God. No, but precisely I'm putting faith in God because I'm putting faith in God that he will protect his church. I mean, we, we forget that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Uh, and so the whole idea of Catholicism is that Jesus did not come to give us scripture, he came to give us a church. And that church, by the way, is what qualifies what scripture is. I mean, we wouldn't have the canon of scripture we have today if the church did not qualify what it is. Uh, if you don't have a body of believers to be able to say, what is scripture, then we can't really necessarily say scripture is infallible, because what is that? 
someone has to be able to say what is scripture because Jesus didn't come down and say, okay, here's a list of books that go in the Bible. And that's really why we have a different set of books than you do. Mm. Um, Interesting. So I think I understand a little bit more clearly now the, the big major things, these major statements that you were talking about. It sounds like it would only relate to primary issues of the faith. Is that correct? Generally. So there's d- different levels of um, – this is something I kind of was talking about a little bit when we, were, when we got cut off. Um, but there's a lot of different levels of um, – like <laughs> Had to make sure we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> for, for those that don't know, we weren't recording for a while, and I said a lot. Yeah, that um, was Resaying tough. a lot of stuff. But um, there's different levels of statements that the church makes. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a conference of bishops in America called the, the USCCB, which is my employer, by the way. Uh, United Shout States Conference, yeah. United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and they make they regularly make pastoral statements that are um, kind of sort of authoritative, authoritative teachings and authoritative statements, but they aren't like theologically binding, I would say. And so one example I gave was um, the death penalty, which uh, the church. Uh, has at some points said that the death penalty is okay, and right now it's saying that it's not. Because we don't really believe that the death penalty is intrinsically evil, but we believe pastorally that right now it is not prudent to give the death penalty to people in the current state of society Mm. with the um, capabilities of prisons that we have now. um, And that's only related to the United States, or is that a No, that that actually is um, like a universal church. Universal, okay. Yeah, the entire uh, the Pope made that clarification and actually changed the catechism to say that. Gotcha. Uh, and a, f- a few years ago, that was something Pope Francis did. But it's not a new thing. Um, it's that's been the, the Pope Francis made that change, but um, the popes and the bishops have been teaching that since I know at least as back as Pope John Paul II. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know about before. So with a change like that, and the current Pope working alongside with, like, other religious leaders. Um, is There was some stuff I looked at. It was, like, researching and stuff, and it was, like, um, Pope Francis working with um, the Jewish leaders, other leaders working on a church and stuff. <coughs> How does that... You like, mean, like, ecumenical talks? Yeah. Like, not just that, but building one central building for all, for the three to um, practice in. I'm not familiar with that. Um, okay. That I mean, Pope Francis can do a lot of stuff, and you know, I'll, I, a lot of people do not like Pope Francis in the Catholic Church. Mm. I so I think hurt. there's a lot of unwarranted hate of him. Uh, I think he's misunderstood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, misunderstood. He's about to drop like a a pop punk album Dude. coming soon. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not emo, mom. I'm misunderstood. Well, for example, um, there's a priest in America. His name is Father James Martin, um, who uh, kind of dances the line on, like, is gay marriage valid? Is, are gay people okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, is homosexual action a sin? He dances around that, and he says a lot of confusing statements. He's never, like, come out explicitly and said, yeah, I believe gay marriage is good. But he, he dances around that line, he, he, and he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But And he, a lot of people do not like him for that fact. Uh, and um, he his um, apostolic organization called Outreach 
which is like an LGBT movement thing. And a lot of people involved in that are advocates of uh, gay marriage in the Catholic Church. Um, they had a conference in New York recently. This is a pretty recent thing, where Pope Francis uh, wrote a personal letter to Father James Martin, uh, thanking him for doing this and with his outreach. But, and a lot of people like get really upset with that. But then you have to think, okay, this is like a man in what, like his 80s, sitting in Rome, and he probably had someone say, "Look, there's this priest in America who's um, doing an outreach to gay people." Uh, he's trying to include them in things and bring them into the church. And Pope Francis is probably like, this is a really great thing. I don't think Pope Francis is scrolling on Twitter and seeing, like, everything that people are saying. And he's on Twitter. I don't know. He, he liked is, that one girl wearing that very short skirt. Not, oh, no. He is he's not, not running it. but Running it. Yeah. I can tell you unequivocally, Pope Francis <laughs> is not on that Twitter Would account. you say that that is an authoritative statement? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so there's that levels of statements. There's like um, authoritative teaching, which is something that is something that we should adhere to, but not something that um, necessarily has to be true. So actually, how that works is um, if you if I were, if I were to believe, in my personal opinion, I think the death penalty is good. I don't believe that, but if that was my opinion, um, then um, I wouldn't be a heretic because. It's not uh, an infallible statement of doctrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but if I were to like publicly advocate for death penalty, I would be in some sort of disobeyment of the church. So like uh, a Catholic really isn't supposed to publicly push for something contrary to current authoritative teaching, even if it's not infallible. But infallible things, if I disagree with something that's an infallible statement, like a doctrine or a dogma, um, then if I uh, formally disagreed with those things, I publicly disagreed with those things, then I would be a formal heretic, basically. But to what extent, with things being able to change and stuff? like So nothing can, like that's the beauty of the Catholic Church, is nothing can change, because nothing can contradict, because these things that have previously been said infallibly are still infallible. And so uh, mm. I, it's something I point to. I mean, I, that's why I say when you say the thing about, like, w- what would have happened if uh, the Pope came out and said something wrong? Well, my thing is that won't happen, uh, and it hasn't happened, and boy, have people tried. And, and one I mean, thing I point to— I don't know. I, I've seen it happen, like, throughout history with, like, different popes and stuff. But When doctrinally? Like, the great—what's um, his name— the great, and he had the great at the end of his name. Um, Pope St. Gregory the Great? Yes. There was, if I remember correctly, throughout history, there was, like, sleeping with children or something like that. Like, I don't know, just looking out throughout history, it looks like there are things that, like, change over time, which, I mean, I'm just... Well, I can promise you that something that's an infallible statement of doctrine has not changed. But, yes, definitely some teachings have changed. I mean, there has been, like, with talking about Mary and stuff... Mary has um, not changed. Praying, Mary, praying to Mary and stuff that that changed. No, actually, one of the first in eleven hundred, um, if I remember correctly. So one of the one of the earliest Christian prayers that we've ever found has mm-hmm. actually was actually a prayer to Mary. Do I know that prayer off the top of my head? No, but uh, I I could look it up. And so when you say one of the earliest Christian prayers was to Mary, is this like a written text somewhere? Yes. Yes. So do we take all written texts of 
Do you know what I'm trying like, to get at? Well, well, I'm, saying, I'm saying that the practice of praying to uh, asking for the saints' intercession through prayer is uh, an ancient practice of the church and has never changed. So I'm, and this is also just a question. Like, it's not an attack or whatever. I'm not trying to pull a Martin Luther on you. Um, with talking about paying money to go to heaven or paying money to help your relatives get to heaven out of purgatory, and the Catholic Church stopped that, I mean, wouldn't that be considered a change at some point with the church? So the church never taught that you can pay indulgences and go to heaven. This is something that local bishops and priests were doing, which was formally... Um, what's the word, reprimanded uh, later on. Uh, but it's never been an official teaching of the church. But indulgences are still very much a thing. But what indulgences are and have always supposed to have been is uh, it's a um, it's basically a practice that the church is giving you and saying this will make you a holier person and, yes, make you spend less time in purgatory. Um, because... You don't see anything wrong with that? No. Okay. But you just said, like, in the last episode, you know you're going to heaven, not purgatory. Like, no, so, so uh, everyone that's in purgatory mm-hmm. is going to heaven. Purgatory, Everybody. Yes, everyone in purgatory is going to heaven. Uh, so purgatory is like a fi- uh, would, it's like a, a final state of sanctification before going to heaven. A final state of sanctification? Like a final stage of sanctification before. After you die, you go to purgatory, and then you go to heaven. And different. if you're a less holy person, the idea would be that you go, you're in purgatory for a longer time. But purgatory, like a lot of the big misconception mm-hmm. with Protestants, uh, and the misconception I had, is that purgatory was like this type of second chance. It's not a second mm, chance. No. Uh, everyone... Um, I'm not saying that you hold this. I'm saying that this is a common yeah. misconception. Uh, but everyone that's in purgatory will go to heaven, at least by the final judgment day. Okay. I mean, I, if I saw that in the Bible, like I would love to see that in the Bible where it talks about that. Because I mean, it talks about Abraham's bosom, which that was before heaven. I mean, it talks about different places, but I personally have not seen where it talks about anything about that. So I mean, there's it's some in implicit... those books that we don't use. <laughs> I mean, probably, I'm but I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I mean, there's I, a uh, legit there's, question. There, there's like an implicit reference somewhere, and maybe an axe that um, I I really couldn't tell you honestly. Okay. Um, I am not the most qualified person to get this conversation, but uh, like I've already said, but um, this is something that I would say that there are. There are, like, there's implicit support, but there's not explicit support. But, yes, in Maccabees, which is one of the books that we have that you don't, uh, there <laughs> I is... I love Applebee's. You say that like it's a club. We have it, you don't. <laughs> it is. Maccabees gotta is a freaking... Gotta collect the collect. Even law. if you don't believe it, man, Maccabees is an epic story. You should read it. Are you talking about with the dragon and... No. No? Which one is that? So, Maccabees is the Maccabean Revolt. It's um, Judas of... Judas Maccabeus... Um, Letter revolt in I forget which area of the Jewish people. Um, I don't know if it was against the Persians or what. I forget. But anyway, it's like this. It's a big old book. It's in two parts: first Maccabees, second Maccabees. And there's one part where um, Judas Maccabeus and his uh, army come across uh, fallen Jewish soldiers, and they find uh, under their um, shirts like these 
basically pagan amulet type thing, basically. Uh, and so they all um, do like penance and uh, pray for those souls, um, those fallen soldiers who essentially apostatized. And so there's this, that's like the scriptural, what we would call the scriptural example of praying for uh, the salvation of a dead person, which I really would encourage anyone to do, even if you don't believe in purgatory. And that qualification that I would give is that um, since God works outside of time, uh, prayer now for the past is essentially effective for the past. Um, that's a whole another tangent. I, I know what you're talking about. I, I get what you're saying because of, um, for instance, Paul praying for the Christians of the future. But I personally don't think we can pray for people of the past. Um, I think that we can pl- pray for people's families. Like whenever I say like thoughts and prayers or whatever, I I say that meaning the family of the person involved. I mm-hmm. I personally just don't see praying to a dead person because they had their life for that, and it was up to God um, for where they're going. So, yeah, I think yeah, we're yeah, all yeah, predestined so anyway. I mean, we, <laughs> yeah. so we believe in predestination. That's um, what I'm talking about, baby. I'm just kidding. So, so I'm, I'm, how, how does predestination work with a Catholic? Um, because I, I, I really come from like do a, not know nearly enough to tell you. Okay. Um, but what we would main, mainly say is that um, there's a lot of different like discourse on predestination. There's like Thomistic predestination, um, and there's the big one of uh, Molinism, which some Protestants adhere to. Some do, yeah. Um, which, if you don't know, uh, if you're listening, uh, Molinism is uh, basically. I think the easiest way to explain Molinism is if you've ever watched like um, which movie is that? Maybe Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness, where they go see Khan, and he's like looking at this big circle of time, and like they're protecting the time. So like, it's, like that's like the idea of like God sees like all the possible outcomes, and he chooses the one that will maximize goodness. It's mm-hmm. like the in a nutshell, not really, but in a nutshell, what Milton is. It's, it's more Arminius than that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but the issue with that, uh, that I was in a conversation recently with a Dominican priest. Um, Dominican is an order of the Catholic Church. I don't mean they're from the Dominican Republic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I totally thought that's what you meant. I mean, I took, it, like, I took it as maybe Dominican Republic. So both the wait. Dominican order... Dominican Order is founded by St. Dominic, Dominic, and, and the Dominican, Dominican Republic is named after St. Dominic. Oh, okay. Um, There's so, the overlap. Yeah. So, so uh, they're Dominican. Their, 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 they're technical, name, Dominican. their technical name yeah, yeah. is Ordo uh, Predicatorum, or Order Preachers, uh, Order Friars Preachers. Uh, but yeah, I was in a conversation with a Dominican philosopher, uh, professor in D.C. Uh, it basically told me that um, the reason... They would say Molinism is not true is because um, within Molinism, uh, free choices that are, if you have a free choice, free will, free choice that's been given, um, there has to be two possible out, uh, possible universes basically, or two possible futures where you do make that choice or you don't make that choice, and because of that, Jesus freely chose the cross, and so within the Molinist idea, basically you have to believe that Jesus could have not chosen mm. to die on the cross, which we believe he freely chose, but then with, in predestination, we do not believe there could have ever been a, um, another outcome, another outcome mm-hmm. basically. Um, Interesting. That's the kind of the rundown of 
that. Which I know that we got here from Scripture alone. Yeah. And is there any other one on that list with the four others that you disagree with that you think is so give, me the, give me the five again. I'm sorry. Um, Christ alone, uh, Scripture alone, uh, grace alone, faith alone. And to the glory of God alone. So, um, at face value, no. Um, so, I would say faith alone, yes, I mean, we, we, we wouldn't call ourselves a works-based salvation, but we would say that, and, and the same thing that really everyone would say, and essentially, is that uh, faith without works is dead, uh, and so you must have works coming out of that faith. Uh, and so... Essentially, yes, there must be there must be both faith and works, but faith is the basis for salvation. Um, you don't work your way to heaven. Uh, if you do a bunch of good things and you have no faith, you've done nothing. Mm-hmm. But we believe we believe in like so a huge thing within Catholicism, which I don't really know nearly enough about. Uh, but if you're familiar with like Dante's Divine Comedy, you kind of see is that there are levels of heaven and hell, mm-hmm. and that's. I don't know how official of a Catholic doctrine that is, but that's essentially a Catholic teaching. Is that there are um, you can um, there are certain levels of graces um, that we receive based on our works. I mean, uh, you know, casting the crowns at the feet of Jesus. You know, we receive rewards in heaven for what we do on earth. But all that still comes from your fa- uh, your faith as the basis of that. Um, without mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, there is nothing. Yeah. Um, okay. And okay. we also glory to so at face value. I'm, I'm just going to say the easy answer to that without being too complicated is, yes, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But if you want a more, uh, more definitive thing, yes, we do pay homage to like different saints. But the idea is that all that grace that they've received comes from God. And through respecting it's – like, it's kind of like the idea of um, I honor your, – your parents are honored through you. And so – like, um, if I respect um, you, I respect your parents. And so it's kind of like that whole, like, traditional idea of um, paying homage to a saint and what they did and recognizing that this is from God. Oh, uh, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. Because I, I want to take a, a very big step back from where we are because I feel sure. like we're narrowing down a very specific branch yeah, of I've, theology. I've been, I've been going yeah, yeah. a lot Which, of I mean, I was just wondering, but... With, so, uh, and I want you to be honest with this and not, like... Because I know some people, they might not be. They'll be, like, take a soft approach. And, I mean, I'm, I'm open for whatever. But with me being Protestant, and I've never sat down in front of a priest and asked for forgiveness through him or whatever, like... Would I be destined for hell, or would I go for purgatory for a while, or would you consider me a Christian, a part of the family going to heaven, or where would I be on that? And I, I you can be as honest as you want. Like, it's not going to hurt. Like, it's a legit there, question. There are a lot of different opinions on the subject uh, within the Catholic Church, uh, and my personal opinion is definitely on the more lenient end of things mm-hmm. i think that um because we're sitting here now we're your friends <laughs> <laughs> this is the no, thing yeah, I, I think if i think if you i think the easiest thing to say and i think that's the most true is that if you love jesus christ and he's your personal lord and savior then you will go to heaven uh and if you if you truly make an attempt to live that out because i i really don't 
I don't think that um, if you if you haven't come to the uh, what I would say what, what we would say knowledge that um, these things are necessary, then they are no longer necess uh, necessary. So, like we have the idea of the normative necess necessity for baptism. So, baptism is the normal way of receiving salvation, but not the only way. There's also baptism by faith. Um, so, that means what that means is that if you have faith. Um, and you die without getting baptized, uh, you won't necessarily go to hell. But um, baptism is still the normal way of receiving those graces, so you should go get baptized. Um, but like, uh, if someone has a conversion on their deathbed, they might not get baptized. Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to hell just because they weren't baptized. But it's like these are the... The Catholic Church is, uh, as, as Bishop Robert Barron, which he's a very, he's a very popular but very controversial on these topics, uh, he would call it the privileged way of salvation, so um, like the orthodox way of salvation, but there are other ways of salvation. Um, yeah, this is a hotly contested argument. You have the really trad people who, I can go into that. It's a really big rabbit hole of traditional Catholicism, but like a lot of like really trad people. Like there's this um, there's this guy in New York called Brother Diamond. He's a set of a contest, so he's not a part of the Catholic Church. Set of a contest means that um, you believe that the chair of St. Peter's is empty, so you believe there's no pope. Um, basically, because they consider the popes of the last century to be really modernist. Um, and so, like, this guy, he thinks that if you haven't been baptized, um, then, like, basically, if you haven't been baptized in the Catholic Church, um, you're, there's no way you're going to heaven. There's some uh, Protestants like that. I know, yeah. There's, I mean, that's why some, one misconception of Catholicism that a lot of people seem to have is that, like, we're all, we all believe the same thing, and it's really, like, it's just like a different world. Like, mm -hmm. there's so much variation within what people believe it's just kind of within a different set of structural um theology theology i'm assuming you're roman yes okay i mean just based off that i didn't know if there was like another well no there's no other catholic church when when i refer to the catholic church i mean like the roman catholic church okay but um like there's the set of a contest to claim to be catholic but right believe but you don't claim them no, because they've apostatized themselves by saying that there's no pope. And this guy, he, this guy is like really extreme. So he like believes that there's um, no valid mass out there because priests aren't ordained to the old Latin. So if you don't, so this is a so if your sermon is not in Latin, it doesn't count. Yes. So in nineteen, I think nineteen sixty one, if I'm correct, uh, the church made the transition from the Latin mass, which was mm -hmm. the universal mass, all in Latin to what we refer to as the Novus Ordo, the New Order. Uh, and this is the way Mass is today, which is in the vernacular tongue. So in every different country, it's in a different tongue. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of traditional Catholics believe that Novus Ordo, um, some would just believe that it's not good, and some believe that it's completely invalid. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we had also this idea of apostolic succession. So the gifts of the sacraments are handed down from the apostles through a, a clear lineage of bishops and priests. Uh, and so people believe, like this guy that set up a contest, that um, since the right, new right of ordination is invalid, they believe it's invalid, um, that there's no valid mass anymore. So basically, unless you find like a 95-year-old priest 
or a Eastern Catholic priest, you're not going to be able to get a valid confession or valid communion or anything like that. So his, his, his literally what he says to his followers is, you should just pray a rosary on Sundays and that's it, mm. which is really a depressing thing. So it's like a lot of, uh, I could go on a whole tangent on like the really big issues within Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's my tangent. Well, I, I want to take a big step back because we're approaching the two hour mark and I had really? two big oh, wow. questions that I wanted to ask. Okay. One of them is related to the leadership within the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. especially in regards to scandals and cover-ups. So how do you rectify seeing these people as still being authoritative, but at this... What? Might need the microphone a little bit closer. Oh. So how do you rectify these leaders being authoritative, but at the same time, there's clear evidence of slights and failures within the leadership, if that makes sense. Does my question make sense? Yeah, and I know the biggest thing that you would be referring to is the whole sex abuse scandal, Mm -hmm. which is horrifying, really, really horrifying, truly tragic that it ever happened. Um, But, I mean, the the easiest answer to that would be St. Peter denied Christ three times. Uh, and so while the Pope and the bishops in their role as bishops in their, if they were to clarify doctrine, which hasn't happened in a while, um, they would be infallible. They are still sinners in need of a savior. Uh, and so they still make a lot of administrative decisions that are really poor. Um, some bishops are really good administrators. Some bishops are really not good administrators. Some priests are great pastoral people, um, and some people, some priests are just not. Um, some priests are really just not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, some priests have done horrible things to children. Um, but, um, you know, I forget which saint, but there's a saint that says, that the road to hell is paved with the skulls of priests and has lampposts of the skulls of bishops. Uh, and so, like, there's this imagery of, like, um, I don't know where in Scripture, but, you know, like, um, whoever leads a child down, it's better to have mm-hmm. a millstone. And then also, um, you'll be judged for the flock you lead mm-hmm. uh, more harshly. And so, I mean... The easiest thing to say when priests and bishops do these horrible things is that they will receive their judgment now. I mean, that's the easiest thing to mm-hmm. say. Um, but I guess my question is, how do you trust a leadership that doesn't disqualify them from their position? It's because, not... I'm sorry, but um, like for me in the Protestant mindset, if there's something like that that goes on in a church, okay, obviously if this leadership isn't able to handle the situation, you find a new church, you find a new home. But with the Catholic church, there is only the one church. Yes. So that's kind of my question is how do you trust that? So I think the easiest thing um, is to say that, um, and the way I look at it is that I'm not trusting these people themselves. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I trust that Jesus Christ is faithful to his church and that he will not lead his church astray, and even though some 
priests and bishops may lead the church astray. And surely, I mean, um, if anyone sees in church politics what's happening in Germany right now, it's really horrible. Uh, where Germany has had like a synod, and they basically are trying, the bishops there are trying to ram through gay marriage, which will never happen, uh, and the Pope has repudiated them. Uh, and if it were to come to them being excommunicated, it wouldn't be the first time that an entire nation or entire city got excommunicated from the church because they distanced themselves. But uh, these things happen, where, um, but you have to have faith that the church, the church itself, will always be guarded by Jesus Christ. I, and I really have faith, and like they, my thought process now is I have faith that um, looking back throughout history, seeing how much true what the church says today that it has always taught, especially in regards to things like the Eucharist, um, and we, we, which we should really get into that because it's like really the source and summit of the Catholic faith. Um, but... Um, I mean, you look at mainline Protestant denominations, denominations, pretty much every single one of them has gone off the deep end of progressive Christianity. Isn't it strange that the most European church in the world uh, that should seemingly be progressive, which during the Cold War was infiltrated by communists, as a lot of people uh, think or know, um, isn't it strange that it still teaches orthodox moral theology or conservative moral theology as a system. Um, like, that's kind of my thing that I'm like, isn't it strange that every, pretty much every mainline denomination has strayed? And, and these mainline Protestant denominations are only ranging from 500 to 200 to 100 years old. But the Catholic Church, which is in Europe, in the seat of modernist heresy, has not changed. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I would, I would have to disagree with that because I mean, I throughout time there's been micro changes to the Catholic Church. Like for instance, what you just talked about a few minutes ago, like just a small thing about the death penalty. Why does that apply to the whole world now, but not to like certain countries? And why is that considered a staple now? Of we believe this, you know what I'm saying? So like, like, and I mean, there's been like. Different changes here and there. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, different pastoral changes. So, like for example, the death penalty. I was saying is a prudential judgment, which is the church saying it's not prudent right now. Uh, it's not saying it never has been, but something like, for example, um, what is marriage? Marriage has been defined uh, unequivocally, and it's seen as intrinsically. This is what marriage is, and so it could never be changed. Um, there are like certain things that could be like the church saying, like uh, to give you an example, the church sometimes comes out and says some type of legislation is needed, and that would be like a prudential judgment. Uh, the church is able to, and that's not really changing its mind. It's just kind of like addressing the current culture, but like the kind of core truths of the faith. Uh, so. Um, what is worship? What is who is Jesus Christ? Like Christology, all these things, these don't change. And what also I have to further clarify that is that when I say it doesn't change, I mean it. It doesn't contradict itself at any point. Um, but it can be added on. We further develop doctrine as time goes on, and that's why uh, in the last two thousand years of church history, there has been different church councils that have 
declare different things to be true as time goes on. Nate has a question. Sure. Oh, it's more of a statement. A statement, yeah. Um, so, like, can I just use your mic? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's quiet enough in this yeah, room without the AC yeah. going. It, yeah. It's not that so, like, loud. I think, I don't know, I think as a difference, though, you said, like, the church is straight in different ways. But, I mean, I think as a general rule, even though me and Chris go to different denominations, we would still consider each other the church. Like, most denominations would still call each other the church despite their differences in man's interpretation, um, like, in the, which there is error in. <laughs> that, that's the reason we have so many splits and, um, you know, it gone different ways. But wouldn't the difference just be that you believe there's an authoritative figurehead to make those interpretations for you versus churches outside of the Catholic Church, which I know wouldn't be considered the church, like m having more individu individualistic interpretations, which we admit there could be error in at certain cases for different people. Okay, so the uh, qualification I would give is that uh, if you are a baptized Christian, you are a member of the church, even if uh, we would say like you're um, not a fully-fledged member, um, but... Uh, structurally, we would call the Protestant churches not churches because um, they don't have what we see as apostolic secession, so valid sacraments. So that's why we call the Orthodox Church sister churches, because they have a clear line of apostolic secession and still have the same sacraments. Um, they still follow the ancient liturgy. They still have valid confessions, all these things. Uh, but the Protestant church does not. And so formally, those are not structurally churches. But if you are a baptized Christian, you are a member of the church. So you are a brother in Christ still. Heck brother yeah. and sister in Christ. <laughs> um, along with the Catholic church, and you were talking about tradition and stuff, um, I can't remember correctly if uh, the Orthodox, if they have mass so they, and if they do, yeah, they do is it the exact same symbolism as y'all's mass? Well, mm -hmm. because I know that the symbolism is re-sacrificing Jesus to cover the sins. I mean, that's no. just... No. Okay. Uh, so it's not a re-sacrifice. It's like... The easiest way to explain what we mean by it being the sacrifice of the mass is it's like a time machine. Like, we're we're kind of participating in the original sacrifice. Um, I mean, it's kind of doing another sacrifice. No. It's a It's like the, Jesus made one sacrifice for all time, and but he, through the communion, uh, is able to continually give us his body and blood because this is an infinite sacrifice that applies to an infinite amount of time. Even the the time is finite, of course. But anyway, um, so no, it's not a repetition of sacrifice. It's a participation in the original sacrifice. But yeah. Um, the Eucharist. I love the Eucharist. So, oh, oh, yeah, back to your question about orthodoxy. So, orthodox, they they um, believe exactly the same thing, that it's truly the body and blood of Christ. They believe the same thing, essentially, about the sacraments that we do. Um, they call their Mass um, the Divine Liturgy, generally. Uh, and it looks a bit different than the Mass, but essentially, it's it, it follows the same structures. Uh, and the communion is still the central part. My of bad, my bad. It was me sending a text to Nate. <laughs> yeah, they're they're essentially their liturgy, their the way they worship is essentially the same. Um, but yeah, okay. I, I was just curious about that because I've always seen, heard of it being like Catholics versus Orthodox, and it's like, oh, 
I hear people coming out of um, being Baptist and Pentecostal, Presbyterian, they might go into one of those because they just, they say, oh, well, I have to go to one of the original churches, so they just pick one of the two. And Orthodoxy is really popular among conservative men right now. Uh, it's A lot of people convert to it, um, mostly because people see the Catholic Church as being a little bit more modern, uh, and so there's like a big draw to like the traditionalism of the Orthodoxy. Uh, but they, they, they essentially, we're sister churches. They have the same type of worship. Um, although they used generally leavened bread, and it's it's really fun. I've been to a few Orthodox liturgies, and I've been to Eastern Eastern Catholic liturgies, which are in communion with the Pope, same church, and I can receive at those. Um, receive communion, I mean. Uh, their liturgy is the same as the Orthodox Church, um, so, and these are Catholic churches. But the Orthodox Church... Um, they have leavened bread, they uh, break it into the chalice, the cup, uh, with, the, with the blood, the wine, and um, they have a golden spoon. They go and empty it into the mouth. Here comes the airplane. <laughs> it's essentially yes. yeah. it's in the really middle fun. of mass. The fun part about Orthodox churches is that after, even if you didn't are not able to receive, they have the bread that wasn't used for the Eucharist is now blessed bread. I feel like that's a dirty body part. <laughs> like I don't know. I just hear that word. I'm like, I don't know. I'm Moving sorry. on. <laughs> what the Eucharist? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just sounds like a. I, I, I don't love know. The Eucharist, man. Okay, so I had three big questions I wanted to ask, sure. and we've only hit one. Okay. So the next one I have, so coming from a Protestant background, you believe in the intercession of the Holy Spirit, that we have a direct line to God. Yes. But Catholicism backtracks that where you need a mediator between Mm-mm. you and God. That's my understanding of it. So can you explain that? Sure. So... um no, you you pray directly to God. What we officially the church refers to the Lord's prayer as being the highest prayer, um, and the mass is also considered to be a prayer. And these are prayers to God. We pray to God. Um, but you see, in a lot of lapsed Catholic and cultural Catholics, a lot of times they sadly don't really pray to God and don't really focus on Christology. They mostly focus on the saints. And the reason I would say that. The, these, or at least the suspicion I have as to why that's the case, is that saints are really tied to like ethnic and cultural folk tales, uh, and so like saints are really tied to a culture. Like so, for Mexico, like Our Lady of Guadalupe is so central to their culture, uh, and so you see a lot of what may seem as like uh, overemphasis on Mary and not. Jesus, and that's really just the influence of cultural Catholicism, um, and I mean these cultural issues with Christianity, where it becomes kind of just the cultural thing, happens in Protestantism too. Uh, so this is just kind of a thing. So but do you pray to Mary and call yes. her Your Lady? <laughs> yeah, we do say Our Lady, um, My Lady. So <laughs> yeah, okay, we I'm believe in intercessory <laughs> prayer. So I I don't know exactly where it is in Scripture, but there is a verse that says that. Um, Essentially, that the prayer of a righteous man is uh, worthy. Uh, the prayer God will hear the prayer of the righteous, and so um, there's a tradition of like the saints are holy people. You want them to pray for you, uh, and people have different relationships. People, everyone has an individual relationship with God. Yes, so um, my relationship to God is, looks different than yours, and if I know my. Uh, 
aunt. Um, I have an aunt that's like it's really spiritual lady. Like she as a she was a she had a prayer room before it was cool basically like so you want this woman <laughs> praying a war for room stop you want this woman <laughs> praying for you like so like we have oh yeah know, i got a prayer warehouse <laughs> oh man uh there's like you, you know so there's an idea of you want holy people to pray for you so you want saints to pray for you and so you ask for their intercession through prayer mm-hmm. uh and we believe that God is the God of the living, not the dead. And so we believe that people are, are alive in heaven and they have some level of awareness of what's happening on earth and that we ask them to pray for us and they pray for us and their intercession is powerful in a special way. But we still pray to God. Nate has a question. Or a statement. Or just a or a statement. <laughs> Nate raised his hand. So like the thing I would... Thank you. <laughs> the thing I would like question about that, um, it's like what we consider righteousness, which is to be in right standing with God. And righteousness comes through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, I can never be righteous by my actions. I'm righteous by his blood. So why are the saints in more right standing than God? They may have achieved holiness, which is something to be worked towards. But I believe righteousness is universal among Christians upon salvation, like because you're made in right standing with God. And if I'm relying on myself for that, I can never do it. So it's the blood of Jesus that carries that for me so i just wanted to know your thoughts on that like sure yeah so good question uh, going back to like what i said the scriptural basis of like um like the value of the prayer of a holy person um is uh like i said people have an individual relationship to god and so um you want so it's people's prayers that are uh really um saintly people um, carry a special significance to them. Not that my prayer to God myself won't do anything or that I'm not worthy of talking to God, but that um, like through the example of saints and through their intercession, God gives his grace to people. So it's kind of like, you know, um, St. Paul had a vision. St. Paul had Jesus literally appear himself to him. But that doesn't happen for everybody. Most people mm-hmm. find God through other people. And so there's this idea of the unity of the church and that through um, me asking you to pray for me and me asking the saints to pray for me, it fosters this unity of the church, um, the church, what we call the church uh, militant and the church triumphant, the church triumphant being uh, the Christians in heaven, um, that these people are still with us. Uh, they are still praying for us. Um, they are still looking after us. Um, and so Mary, of course, is at the primary position among saints uh, because of her special place being the mother of God, um, mother of Jesus. Mm. Um, and um, we believe we believe that uh, at the cross when... Um, Jesus gives Mary as the mother of John that that's really more of a mystical statement than it is a literal statement, even though it also is a literal statement of, like, you know, the common Protestant interpretation is that he's giving John to be taking care of Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, but Catholics would say that he's also giving Mary as mother of the church, uh, and so she's our spiritual mother in a special way. Um <coughs> She holds a primary place among the saints. She's the holiest of saints. And, um, you know, the common thing is 
if you want something of someone, a good way to get it is to ask their mom to tell mm. tell them. You know, which I have a question about her. Sure. Um, so, in, if I remember correctly, it was nineteen eighty two. It was like I believe the early eighties. I could be incorrect. Um, the Catholic Church decided that Mary was sinless. Do you hold that belief, or do you not? Uh, so. Um, and why would they change that to not, that? Not, not to be overly technical, uh, but yeah, this happened in the 1850s. 1850s. And, okay, yeah. I, I knew I had an eight. My bad. My bad. You're good. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a something where the Pope made a formal statement, but it's something that the Church has believed for a long time, with some distinction. Uh, it's been a belief held by the saints for a long time. Being looked back centuries uh and see places where it has been taught it just wasn't formally stated as an infallible truth yet and so that's why we say that the church can make clarifications on faith so the church doesn't make anything that contradicts an earlier statement uh, but it can basically add on a new statement so this is like the church kind of informally believed this for a long time generally and the pope at that time i forget which pope i think it was one of the Pope Leos. There's quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know which one. Uh, but he had a great devotion to Mary himself, and so he decided to make it an infallible statement. Which, interestingly, um, St. Thomas Aquinas, um, is, is this, this is like the one thing where uh, his, what he thought, this is really the one thing that people ever point to as being something that he taught that, isn't necessarily in congruence with current church teaching because he didn't believe, he believed that Mary was sinless, I believe, but he didn't believe in the Immaculate Conception in the same way. Um, and I don't know exactly his belief. I haven't really looked into it. Um, but Which I don't know how that would work, but... Well, so exam- for example, uh, the Orthodox also believe in uh, the idea that Mary is sinless, but they don't believe in the Immaculate Conception because what the Immaculate Conception means is that she was conceived without original sin. Mm-hmm. And I believe that they think that she was conceived with original sin, but that she remained sinless. Like, so at birth, she became, she she never committed personal sin. Nate has a question. So is that how you would coincide with the scripture, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Or so, um, is it all but Mary? Like, I'm just asking. I so, um, the, I mean, we believe that we have to read things in context, and so someone can make a generalization in scripture that obviously, or not obviously, but that we say would not apply in the same way that it seems. So like all, so if we were to take that as all humans totally, well, that knocks one person out for everyone, Jesus Christ. I mean, he didn't sin and he was a human. Um, So no, not all humans. And then so then we basically make the generalization um, or the conclusion that all was applying to all of the Christian faithful that Paul was talking to. But isn't there a separation between divinity and man? Like, I mean, God, he was 100% man, but he was 100% God, and there's that clear distinction, like, in Scripture. So that's just my only roadblock for me to that mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that Mary wasn't. Like they wouldn't have chosen a terrible sinner to carry the savior. I mean, yeah. I mean, she was a godly yeah. woman. We know that. Um, but I just, I mean, I, I could kind of understand if you understand she was born into sin of the world, but like didn't commit a sin, which I still don't hold to personally. I yeah. can understand that line of thinking, but just being separate from 
times, and I can't make that connection biblically. Yeah. Like, for instance, Protestants, we believe that all have fallen short, all have sinned. We are born sinners, so it's not you're stapled as a sinner at the first sin you do. No, we believe you were born into sin. Yeah, original sin. And um, that passes down through your father. So yeah. Jesus yeah. was sinless because he did not have a human father. Um, he had a human mother, so that sin was not passed down to him. But Which that goes into iniquity, right? Um, yes. I guess, yeah. But for Mary, she had a human father, so she was born a sinner. So we believe that God, in his um, divine mystery, shielded Mary from uh, original sin, that she was an immaculate conception, a unique She would be immaculate? Yeah, so she, Mary is the, so um, the actually, the, I'm, this is actually a good tangent. To, uh, this is reminds me of uh, why it kind of became like a more clarified thing in the 18th. 1800s is because in the early 1800s there was a Marian apparition at, in Lourdes, France, uh, Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, where uh, she made the statement to Saint Bernadette that I am the Immaculate Conception. Um, so that kind of set on a push to formally declare her as the Immaculate Conception. But basically, um, yeah, she is in need of a savior because she was saved by God by preventing her from sin. So we believe that God, in his predestination, prevented her from getting original sin and also prevented her from ever committing personal sin. Interesting. Um, so that's, why we, that's how we qualify the statement that, um, of the Magnificat of Mary's prayer, uh, of Mary saying that um, of God my Savior, is that she um, was saved from sin. And, and the common analogy that's used is... Um, with a person um, falling, with a person falling in the puddle, you can clean them up. You can lift them out of the puddle, and you can clean them up. We could also prevent them from ever falling into the puddle in the first place. And mm-hmm. so we believe that God prevented Mary from falling into the puddle in the first place. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't trying to debate you. I just wanted oh, to understand the logical steps. Well, yeah, yeah that's yeah. this is kind of me trying to yeah, get that, the, yeah, the logic. That, that provides me with a sound like understanding of why that belief is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, we have covered a lot of ground, yeah. but I have one more major question about sure. Catholicism. So, the Hail Mary, if Pull Brett Favre throws it 75 yards downfield, is he actually praying to Mary? Like when he do a <laughs> Hail Mary silence. Pass? I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, that was just a joke to end it on. All right, that that joke okay. really landed. Well, that joke stuck. Wow, I was just trying to end it on a upbeat note, and uh, wow. All right, well, Evan, thank you for giving us a whole lot of your time. We genuinely appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to say, like, um, Evan's kind of been on the hot seat here, and uh, he's uh, said, you know, he can't answer everything about Catholicism. Same for us. Like, if you drilled us about every aspect of our beliefs, I'm sure you would find a spot where we could not answer completely, um, you know, uh, perfectly, because we're still learning. We're growing as Christians and growing in faith. So, like, you know, cut everyone in this room the same slack you would cut anyone when you're going into this type of conversation. None of us claim to be experts. We just claim to know what we know and are learning continually in our faith. That being said, good job clarifying misconceptions and defending your faith. Thank you. And to you, the listener, thank you for sticking with us through this 
very long, grueling conversation. Not like in a negative way, but yeah. it's just been a very thick episode, two part, whatever we're gonna do with it. It's been dense. Yeah. Dense is the word. Yes. If you subscribe to our Patreon, you can see um, a debate between uh, Evan and <laughs> Evan and James. On I mean, I'd be down for that, but of course, in like a nice way. I, we can I have mean, a debate of me and Chris on Kanye versus Taylor Swift. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can make us some espresso. We could, oh, that happened one night yeah, at an open about mic. What country in the South has better? So, all right. Well, thank you for listening, Evan. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time here on the Small World Podcast. Deuces!